Communicore Weekly is filmed in front of a live studio audience. They're the world's first pair of independently born Identical twins, Communicore Weekly, the fun never ends They're like the Oompa Loompas, yeah, they're Willy and they're Wonka They've been purified in the lake of Manitonka Got a time machine now, they're going back to Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. Welcome to yet another episode, but this time we wanted to do things a little bit differently. That's right. For this episode, we'll be talking all about the glory days of the Disney MGM Studios, like how it came to be and how they were a working studio. For that, we decided to do it like they used to do and have a live studio audience. Except you guys are here against your will. <laughs> He's kidding. M mostly. I mean, we're no Kevin Yee, uh, so we didn't kidnap anyone. At least not yet, huh? Huh? <laughs> anyway, we're sure you have a lot to cover today, so perhaps we should jump right into it, eh? Are you guys ready for some Disney history? I don't know. It sure doesn't sound like they're ready. You guys can do better than that. Alright, good, because the quicker we get this all done, the faster we can all go home. <laughs> On with the show. It's time for Disney History! Disney MGM Studios was a 135-acre working studio and theme park. Now, nearly two-thirds of the park was closed off to the public because many movies and television shows were being filmed there. The rest was a creative theme park devoted to bringing the magic of movies, television, radio, and Broadway plays to life in an educational and a fun environment. So, despite the MGM in the park's name, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer had no part in designing, owning, or operating the Disney MGM Studios. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer simply collected a licensing fee from the Walt Disney Company. But the owner of MGM, Kirk Kerkorian, wasn't happy about it. When Kerkorian learned of the deal in 1985, he couldn't believe that his executives had traded one of the most valuable assets of the company, its legendary name, to a competitor for a relatively small fee. Now, former Disney CEO Michael Eisner, who spearheaded the deal, said years later that they signed an agreement for perpetual rights to use much of MGM's massive film library, uh, the MGM name, and also its logo for a very, very modest fee. So, and also, according to Eisner, uh, Kokorian was told only about the deal as it was be it being signed. He had no idea why, but it definitely worked out better, better for uh, Disney that way. Now, the park wouldn't just be about making Disney films, but about the making of all films, and the use of the MGM name and their films would help sell that image. 
Though the MGM of 1985 was just a shadow of its former greatness, they were still responsible for, and, and of course held the rights to, some of the greatest movies ever made. And even with Disney's floundering movie image in 1985, putting two of the biggest names in showbiz together to make a theme park was almost a match made in heaven. Well, almost. Uh, largely, the Disney MGM Studios was a race against the rival Universal Studios. Universal, who already had a very successful park in California, announced plans to create a second theme park in Florida. Eisner wasn't having that and managed to open the Disney MGM Studios two years before Universal Florida. Disney MGM Studios opened in May 1989 to a, a fairly moderate success, and it was touted as a theme park with a working movie studio, and by all accounts it really was. The, the back lot it contained a lot of sets and sound stages that were used by many productions throughout most of the late 80s and the early 90s. Um, guests who were able to ride the studio backlot tour, they saw the production center to see the costumes and sets for current productions being made. And from there, they traveled along to see the residential street where exterior houses uh, sets for such classics as The Golden Girls, which I still love to this day, <laughs> and Ernest Saves Christmas, uh, which I also still love to this day, could be seen. So those, those movies actually, the movie uh, Golden Girls and Ernest were filmed in California, but the outside of them were filmed in Florida. That's that's movie magic, guys. Yes, it is. It's like sort of like Communicore Weekly. Yes, exactly. Parts With are filmed in the East Coast and then on the West Coast. Time travel and magic. That's what I'm going to okay. account it to. I would too, I would too. Well, from there, guests would visit Catastrophe Canyon and the Boneyard, much like they do today. However, at that point, the tour would turn into a walking one. Uh, though, at, it's at the beginning of the tour today, and this is where the guests could see how special effects for movies were made, and volunteers could partake in a very watery scene. Um, uh, after another special effects demonstration involving a giant bee from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Guests would visit the set of whatever was currently filming on the lot and watch as the movie or TV magic was being made. Now, you see, the park really was a working studio for a number of years, and Disney films were animated there, hit films were filmed there, and in part on the backlot itself. However, there was one big downfall to the whole thing. There really wasn't much else to do because it was a half-day park and it still is. So, mm -hmm. there's still... There were still a handful of attractions there, but it wasn't enough to keep the folks busy for the entire day, and thus Imagineers quickly raced to fix that problem. And over the years, more attractions and shows like the Tower of Terror and the Lights, Motors, Action Stunt Show, they took the places formerly occupied by the tram tour and other sound stages. And behind the scenes, other things were afoot as well. The relationship that Disney had with MGM was, it was pretty rocky to begin with, but it just got worse as time went on. And around the time the park opened, MGM sued Disney over the licensing agreement they had signed. A judge ruled in Disney's favor, but this was just the beginning of a downward slope. It was eventually discovered that the uh, perpetual rights that Eisner signed for weren't perpetual at all. It was only for 20 years. Someone didn't read that fine print correctly, but nope, I'm no lawyer, just saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> after fighting back and forth for years over the use of the MGM name, especially over other theme park and hotels using it, uh, the t contract was dissolved in 2005. And Disney and MGM could have made it perpetual whites if they both found it mutually agreeable to them, however, they clearly did not. So, Disney wound up using the name into 2007, and then it began to transition into the use of Disney 
Disney's Hollywood Studios instead. It was probably also thought that the MGM name wasn't doing much for the park anymore. Anyway, MGM was still a hurt business in 2005 when the contract expired, but Disney was doing quite well for itself in all aspects of entertainment. And much of the MGM content was used in the park. It was no longer owned by MGM, but instead had been sold off to Warner Brothers over the years. So Disney made the right choice and changed the name to Disney's Hollywood Studios in January 2008. Now, despite the fact that productions are no longer filmed at the park, Disney Hollywood Studios still celebrates the magics of making movies and television shows with its various attractions and shows. The Backlot Tour, it's a shadow of its former self, but it's still a good introduction into the world of entertainment. And who knows what the future holds for Hollywood Studios, but hopefully it's something good, because it's definitely a half-day park, and I'm sticking with that. That's okay. We each have our own version of what a half-day park is. And they're they're both Hollywood studios. I'm glad we agree <laughs> on that. <laughs> well, you know, no matter what I say, you're still editing the show. Exactly. So, so whatever you say, you can just be like, yes, Jeff, I agree. Hollywood <laughs> Studios is a half-day park. Except it'll be a robot voicing Hollywood Studios. So, <laughs> Yes, because we spent all of our budget on robot voices. <sighs> I told you it was a good investment. Uh, I know. We'll see. CommuniCore Weekly will return after a word from our sponsor. Are you tired of visiting theme parks that don't fulfill your every need for an entire full day worth of fun? Well, now you can when you visit Disney's Animal Kingdom. This full day park is chock full of amazing adventures and hidden gems. Be sure to show your love of it by purchasing a full day park shirt at the CommuniCore Weekly web store, available at CommuniCoreWeekly.com. And now back to CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. So following along the theme this week of television, I'm looking at The Wonderful World of Disney Television by Bill Cotter, which was released in 97 and is 628 pages, almost Harry Potter size. Almost. So Bill Cotter worked at the Disney Studios from 1976 to 1982, and he also co-curated a museum show on Disney or about Disney television. And in his own words about himself in the book, he said during the years that he worked for Disney, he had put together a number of employee presentations on the company's old television shows, and using that as an excuse to get these shows out of the vault so I could see them again, or see he could see them again himself, he researched the history of the shows to help introduce them often tracking down some of the original cast and crew. And as time went by, he got, to know the, he got to be known as the old TV show guy and got calls from across the company asking for information. The calls even continued after he left Disney to work for Warner Brothers, so he thought there might be enough interest in the shows for a book. Uh, he was able to convince Disney that there was, and they gave him complete access to, this, to the Disney archives. And here's a part of the press release from the book in, uh, when it was released in 1997. Uh, so in all, uh, this is me talking now, not quoting Bill Cotter. This book is an amazing research tool for anything related to Disney's television shows. It's broken down into various sections relating to the time period and really shows the progression and growth throughout the years. And in some cases, it shows when Disney was looking elsewhere and didn't quite produce some of the best shows out there. What? But I yeah, refuse I to hear that. I know, I know. Thunder in Paradise, anyone? Uh, exactly. Listen, Hogan knows best. So <laughs> Hogan knows best. But when you when you look through the book, 
it starts off, it talks about the early days, the early Disney specials that they did, and then looks into a lot of the Mickey Mouse Club things, then Zorro, and then looks at all the other series that they did throughout the year. And of course, the animation, there's a lot covered, but one of the largest section covers all of the mainstream market stuff that they did in the latter part of the years, like the George Wentz show, which, no, no takers Anyone? out there. Anyone? Anyone? No? No? Silence. No? Okay. No? And a show called The Finelli Boys? I I ne- never heard of that one either. I know. I don't, nothing remembers that. So, well, each, each entry in the book uh, includes the cast, a description of the episode, the original air date, and any subsequent air dates as well. And each section will contain a small bit of history written by Bill about the time period and the major changes. Now, do you mean and, a, it's they have it for every episode of every television show is that what you mean by when you say description of an episode yeah yeah if it's broken down like the animated uh the saturday morning animated cartoons it's it might be just a two uh two or three sentence description but still that's that's pretty impressive jeez a lot of work um you know for instance all of the walt disney world specials are here like it lists all of the the Easter specials, the 4th of July, which I haven't seen those in a long time. The Christmas episodes. The Happy Easter episodes. Again, because I'm just so thrilled. I, I can't imagine how much fun those were. And, as an example, does anybody remember I-Man? You in the back? Did you Exactly. Did no. you have your hand raised? No? Okay. This, this was released in 1987, before Steve Jobs released the iMac, the iPad, the iPod. <laughs> the iMan, okay. It's the, it, that's exactly how it's spelled, I-M-A-N. Uh, it, was, it was in 1989 and starred Scott Bakula. So, you know, the Quantum Leap guy. And, and here's, here's the description. After a space shuttle retrieves a probe that holds a sample of another planet's atmosphere, cab driver Jeffrey Wilder is exposed to the gas when a NASA van crashes and he saves the driver. The van explodes, and Jeffrey receives third-degree burns over 60% of his body, but somehow he recovers almost instantaneously. Realizing that he can't be killed, the government steps in and recruits Jeffrey as a secret agent. Because that, that's always the case. Exactly. When those sort of things happen. And, and NASA always transports gas in a van. Well, how else would they transfer it? Anyway, we're not we're not so, gonna anyways, we're not find any that, so. plot flaws. So no, no, not at all. So you've pretty much got every Disney show ever produced, animated series, even the Saturday morning cartoon shows, up until 1997. There's an appendix in the back, which does list production credits um, for a lot of the episodes as well, not just who starred in them who the cast were, but who, if you could find the information about, you know, who was the director, the photographer, the grip, that's listed in the book as well. So it's really, really, really in depth. Um, My only negative, which Jeff and I discussed off the air, I know we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't talk about Communicore things without you guys here. But the only negative is that there's not an index. You have to know when the show aired in order to find it. Of course, you can always use IMDB to get that information. Yeah, but who wants to do that? I know. If only there was some easier way at your fingertips to find info. Oh, never mind. It's the internet. Exactly. Exactly. It is IMDb. I take it back. (laughs) So if this is, you know, if you have an interest in Disney television or you want to do some research about various Disney shows, including the Disneyland and Walt Disney World specials, this is a fantastic book to own. 
It's extremely comprehensive, and, and Bill Cotter should be proud of himself for it, but I'm just blown away by how large it is. So it's also good for weightlifting as well. It's 628 pages. Um, so the book is The Wonderful World of Disney Television, A Complete History, at least up until 1997, by Bill Cotter. Communicore Weekly will return after a word from our sponsor. With this tough economic climate, we're well aware that you might be looking for a new career. Uh, Communicore Weekly has just gotten together with Phoenix University to offer a new online course. You can become a Communicore Stalker. Do you find yourself spending a lot of time in restrooms, getting a lot of strange looks? Well, now you can get paid to have those strange looks. This short four-month course will teach you the ins and outs of photographing your favorite restrooms and sharing them with the world and with the fans of Communicore Weekly. So don't forget to contact us to find out how you too can become a Communicore Stalker. And now back to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. If it's a legend that you seek, come on and take a peek at the window of the week. The International Brotherhood of Second Assistant Directors window on Sunset Boulevard at Disney's Hollywood Studios pays tribute to not a specific person, but to all of the capable and talented yet unrecognized second assistant directors who have carried out their orders of the assistant directors everywhere. With its acronym on the window reading, I Be Sad, it's probably a play on words since they never got to be assistant directors, or directors for that matter. But that's okay. We still love them anyway. Yes, and we salute them. A Communicore cadet salute. Do we have one of those? No. I... What? We should probably come up with one with a, a cadet salute. Mm, okay, we could do that. Okay, well, we'll talk about that later. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. Despite it now being home to the American Idol experience, <coughs> lame, uh, yeah. the Superstar Television Theater is actually named after its original inhabitant. Uh, it Me. was a... What? Oh. Oh. The Superstar Television Theater is named after George Taylor? That makes no sense whatsoever. No. I thought it was called the George Taylor Theater. Oh, that's what we told you to get you to go in there. Oh, Sorry, oops. that was my bad. Didn't mean to tell you about that. Anyway, so it was originally known as the ABC Theater and was used to tie in with promotions for the television network ABC, obviously. And Superstar Television was the original attraction that was housed there, which was a live interactive show to teach guests about how TV shows were made. And you know how they're made, George? Mm -mm. Magic. <gasps> Just, like Communicore Magic. Weekly. Just like Communicore Weekly. Just like Communicore Weekly. All magic all the time. And time, and time travel. And time travel. Obviously, every week it's more time travel. Well, now we're more time travel than ever. That's true. That's true. A lot more time travel. Wow. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. So thank you guys so much for watching, listening, and absorbing. Yeah. Be sure to leave a comment and rate us on the iTunes. Yep. Don't forget we like those nine-star ratings. Keep them rolling in. And always email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com, especially if you have an interest in our uh, 
Humanicore Weekly Careers. Yes, or or t-shirts. That too. Ooh, That's t-shirts, it. yes. Mm-hmm. The the half day park t-shirts? Nope. Anyway, like us on the Facebook at facebook.com slash Communicore Weekly. Yep. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Imagine Nerding and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Oh,